Ready? Okay. Do you like my zebra pants? I love your zebra pants. Thanks. They're dirty at the bottom because they're too big. I almost mood, but that's the wrong animal. <laughs> I'm Amanda. You're Adeline. Uh-huh. Welcome to Life with Purpose podcast. Today Did we're going to talk about... <laughs> we want to talk about boundaries. Stop interrupting me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I put together a list of the different types of boundaries and I'd like to share them with you guys, just as a preface to this episode. So, the first type of physical boundaries that I kind of, you know, found was physical boundaries. Okay. I feel like nowadays when we think about boundaries, we don't usually think about physical, but um, that was one of the first ones that came to mind for me. Then there's emotional boundaries, mm-hmm. time boundaries, sexual boundaries intellectual boundaries, and material boundaries. And I thought of a couple examples of each of them, but overall I realized that no matter the category, the common theme there was self-worth and deciding where, how, how much other people get to affect you and interfere with you. Self-worth. I have none. I'm waiting (laughs) weeks to say that. (laughs) I guess I'll share a story. So, I was really excited for this episode. Before you start, can I just tell you, you look very therapeutic today. I feel like I'm in therapy. (laughs) I mean that in the best way. I love my therapist. (laughs) It's cute. I'm tangled in my pants. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like, are you, what is happening over there? Tangled in my pants. (laughs) I just I got th- squirrels in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> I used to love to do that dance. There's a dance? <laughs> have you not seen that episode of Phineas and Ferb? Now you have to show me. <laughs> I got squirrels in my pants. That's what she does. <laughs> I got squirrels in my pants. <laughs> Is that, I was just I was just thinking about the TikTok sound. That's from Phineas and Ferb. Oh, I never watched Phineas and Ferb. I did. It's funny. Yeah, there's a whole episode where the sister sings about having squirrels in her pants, and she does this dance, and they turn into a rap. <laughs> oh, man, what a life. Uh-huh. It's quite the adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope to never have squirrels in my pants. <laughs> well, you, you have... Dead zebra. Yeah. This crackhead energy. Okay, I have to tell you something else before we start. Okay, we started already, but tell me. So I got these new shoes. You've seen uh-huh, them. Uh-huh. You've seen them, but TikTok has not seen them. YouTube has not seen them. Hold them up like a makeup product. These shoes. That's way too close to the camera. Shoes. Nope. Farther back. Yeah, there you go. Well, a little too far, but that's fine. Shoes. They're golden moths. Anyways, so I got these new shoes, and I, uh... I went to work the other day, and for some reason, these shoes were giving me confidence that I have not experienced in years. Oh my gosh! And I was, like, walking around the office, and every time I saw a coworker that I really loved, I was like, look at my new shoes! And then they would be like, those are so awesome! And I would be like, I know! And I was so excited about my shoes. And then it was just giving me total crackhead energy. (laughs) So I got nothing accomplished. How does that make you feel? Like a crackhead. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think that is? (laughs) Anyways, I just could not focus. And Uh my boss sent me a text and he was like, did you get so-and-so done, such-and-such? And And I replied and I was like, I'm not going to lie to you. I have ADHD brain fog today because my new shoes are so cool. (laughs) And I sent him a picture of my <laughs> shoes. It's a good excuse. And he was like, those are cool shoes. <laughs> and so I spent the whole day oh, huh? mm-hmm. on a new one because I had these shoes and they were making me so confident. Good. Anyways. um, Boundary. You were going to tell me a boundary story. Oh, God. I forgot about it, but let me think for a second. Oh, um, God. Um, I'm so sorry. I had to tell you about my shoes. Oh, man. I can think of a lot of stories of times that I didn't know hold a boundary. I guess, um, I would say before I was 18, I really struggled to maintain boundaries in my romantic relationships, Mm -hmm. 
and probably in my friendships now that I think about it. But I would give a boy an ultimatum, or not necessarily an ultimatum, but I would I would set a boundary. I would say this. It, this is what needs to happen. You need to either treat me this way or we need to work on this or whatever the boundary was. And I think usually it was an emotional or an intellectual boundary, um, sometimes a sexual boundary. And, well, you know, people cross boundaries all the time. And so people would cross these boundaries. And I had this habit of not holding myself accountable for those boundaries And I think in hindsight, the reason that I didn't hold myself accountable was because that accountability um, for personal boundaries, I feel like that wasn't modeled to me as often as it could have been just because I had such a a, a turbulent um, upbringing. There wasn't a lot of space in that survival mode for, you know, setting, uh, holding yourself accountable for boundaries like that, right? So I feel like I I would find myself often not knowing how to go about that and often being scared of the repercussions of what setting a boundary for myself would look like in my relationships. So I'm really excited for this episode today just so we can kind of explore that and um, talk about what boundaries do look like on a more serious note, I guess, because I feel like lots of people, like, they, they don't get that when they're younger And so it's hard for adults to set those boundaries, but we are capable of learning. And I think it's really important to educate on what boundaries look like um, and the reality of not being able to set those. But I think there's also, there's also humor in it too. I mean, Mm -hmm. they, (laughs) spineless and doormat are words I've used to find humor in myself when I was younger. But a lot's changed, and I'm no longer that person, and that's that's a really good feeling, so. I think I still struggle. Like, most things we're learning about with mental health, boundaries is one of those things where we're really only just scratching the surface. It's becoming normal for people to set boundaries. I I really struggled with them. I, I think I still struggle with them. I still struggle to set boundaries. You and I have talked about some of, for example, my friendships. Mm -hmm. There's one instance I'm thinking of, and I was telling you that a friend texted me to tell me that they were upset with me. And I don't enjoy fighting with my friends. And in this particular instance, I was not in the wrong. Mm -hmm. I, this friend thought that I had done something behind their back. And instead of asking me about it, They just started coming at me for it. And I explained to them, that's not what happened. Here's my receipts. Mm -hmm. This is what happened. And they were still upset. And so I waited. And the next day, I sent them a text and said, I'm sorry you felt this way. And they then replied, I'm sorry. I should have just come to you with the information when I had it. And I should have given myself to simmer down. Anyways, I was, t- I was telling you about that interact- interaction, obviously, in more detail. And you, I will never forget, at the time said, they did something wrong and got you to apologize for it. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, was one of the first times, at least in recent history for me, where I really sat back and thought, wow, I really am... I'm bad at boundaries because I think for me, I, I grew up similar to you in one of those traumatic climates where you're kind of in survival mode. And for me, I learned that life was dangerous when people were upset with you. That's exactly the issue with boundaries, um, and a traumatic childhood is that there is danger as a repercussion. Yes. And so now, as an adult, I don't enjoy when people are upset with me, and I would mm-hmm. rather preserve the the preserve the peace or preserve the relationship, even if. And I'm not saying this about the friend in that story, but even if that is an unhealthy friendship or a toxic friendship, it's more important to me to preserve the friendship than mm-hmm. it is 
for someone to be upset with me because I learned early on that when they're upset with you, that means danger. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I learned the same thing, and I feel like the the reason why I'm in the place that I'm in now is, I mean, we've been through a lot of similar things as far as the loss of people close to us, and I feel like for me, I took that in such a way that's like, well, I have to be okay with, you know, the loss of people I care about, or I have to be okay with being alone, um, because it hurts too much to confront that, you know, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to allow myself to be hurt, and so it started to become easier for me to, to walk away from unhealthy relationships because I stopped being scared that they would walk away from me. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that kind of makes me think about that self-sabotage trauma response. And I think that it, it started out in a place like that for me. Where if I walked away from the friendship first um, over something that was triggering or a boundary that had set that was could honestly be resolved with communication then I wouldn't have to deal with them walking away if I really did set that boundary and set it firmly. But it evolved me no longer being scared of being alone. And I I went to 12 schools um, within 12 years. By the time I was, by the time I graduated high school, I had gone to 12 different schools. Wow. Yeah. And so I, my whole life I had friendships just end with a drop, like drop of a hat. And like, I started moving around more and started developing more meaningful friendships right around the time that smartphones came out, I guess, and, um, at least when I had gotten a phone, and so I was able to stay in touch with some people, but even still back then, like, texting, social media was not big, and so I think all of a sudden it was like, well, if people are leaving left and right, why am I so scared of, like, you know, somebody walking away from me if I set a boundary? Because Mm -hmm. even if I don't set that boundary people are going to come and go from my life, no matter, you know, there's, there's no control over it. Interesting. That's an interesting perspective because in my experience, it's not a fear of people leaving. It's a fear of people coming back and the repercussions of them coming back. What do you mean by coming back? So for example, I think I've talked about before how I didn't I didn't grow up with my parents. I grew up with a guardian. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this specific guardian, I have I have trouble setting boundaries with. And I'm getting better at... But I, I talked about this in therapy. I said I am confused by this person because they've blatantly told me before that they don't like me. Um, and this is a family member. Mm-hmm. And so there's love for them, but those like components are missing. And I experienced a fair amount of emotional abuse by this person's hand as a child, but they, they did that thing where they would treat you poorly and then sprinkle you or shower you with gifts and love and compliments. There's, so then you, there's a name for that. You, it's, um, I don't know, but I know what you're talking about. That's yes. a, that's a, a cycle to um, keep people hooked on the dopamine that they get from the love because it's it's a it's a it's a creates love, an addictive is it love bombing. I think so, but it creates you know the science behind it. It creates this mm-hmm. this cycle of of sad and scare you know fear hormones in your body, and then it then it pumps you full of love hormones. Mm-hmm. So you start to associate the treatment. Uh, the, the bad treatment of the people that you love with positive. Yes. Yeah, and so that's, you know, it keeps you in that cycle, especially as a child. I mean, your con- children are conditioned by their environment for years until your brain develops. Right, and I couldn't leave. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was a child. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so then you think you're safe again, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, this person actually does love me, and so I'm going to open up to them a little bit, and then that's when they get you is because you've become vulnerable and this cycle happened over and over and over. And so, um, I learned very quickly that if I just kept the peace when they came back, because they always come back Mm. when they came back, it would be less harmful. And even now this is a person that is invited to my wedding and a lot of people are like, 
why? Why would you invite this person to your wedding? And even now, I am kind of like, the repercussions of not inviting that person to my wedding is worse than just letting them come. And that's one of those really hard boundary things that I'm still working on. I think you have become really good at, but I, I learned that people come back and when they come back, it's almost always worse. And now that we're on this topic, I actually remember there's a study. I will see if I can find it. And if I can, I will link it below. Okay. They did this study on dogs and there were three groups of dogs There was one group that was always abused. Every time they interacted with these dogs, they were horrible to them. They were mean to them. They treated them poorly. Mm -hmm. There is... Sorry, for the people watching, I did not mean to make that face of excitement when she said the dogs were being abused. I saw you. I saw you. Yeah, it was recognition. Uh Yes. I've heard of this. And then there was a second group of dogs that were loved and adored and treated so, so well. And then there was a third group of dogs, and these dogs were abused sometimes, Mm -hmm. and then they were treated really well other times. So they have all these dogs, and in the first group, the ones that were abused, they open the door, basically let these dogs go, and all of the dogs leave. Fuck this, I'm out, it sucks. Then they open the door for the dogs who are loved unconditionally, the dogs still leave. They all go. And then they open the door for the third group of dogs, dogs who were sometimes abused and sometimes not, and those dogs stayed. And they said that this happens in emotionally, or not emotionally, they, this happens in abusive relationships. That's why people find it so hard to leave because when it's bad, it's bad, but when it's good, it's good. So that would definitely <clears throat> explain the difference between you and I as far as this particular type of boundary setting goes, because for me, I can recall this particular instigator of turmoil in my childhood. Um, there That's were... a nice way to put it, an instigator of turmoil. <laughs> Let's put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this this person... There were some times where I was treated well, but it was so far and few between that I wished that this person would leave. There was never, like, a cycle where I was like, oh, and then they're going to treat me. I mean, honestly, I do think that there was, but probably not to the extent, or maybe it was that this particular turmoil, trauma, was, it outweighed that. I'm not quite sure how that imbalance happened. Um, but I do know that by the time this person, there was an opportunity for this person to separate from my life, I was overjoyed. And I was like, I don't ever, like, I really don't ever want to see you again. Mm-hmm. You know? But then there were times that I would miss this person because they were family as well. You know, you go back and forth. Family is really, really hard. Because society teaches us that, you know, family is love, and this is da 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 all, you know, all these things that, that you don't give up on your family, and that mm-hmm. you... Mm-hmm. And that you, you would let things slide that your family does that you wouldn't let slide for other people, which I think is super dangerous, um, because that can justify abuse. So, I don't know, I mean, I can see where you're sitting where it's like, there's this cycle of, of stonewalling and love bombing, whatever you want to call it, you know, really abusive, and then really, really loving. And that hooks your brain on those... It is addictive. Mm -hmm. But I think with the dogs that were just pretty much just abused, it's like when they get the chance to leave and never look back. And so I think for me, when I... Now, as setting boundaries as an adult, I'm like, if I don't have a good relationship with you and it's something of the basis of simple incompatibility, whether Mm -hmm. that means you're a bad... You do not treat people kindly... um, (laughs) <laughs> so I guess we can't say that on YouTube. You don't treat people kindly, or it's a fundamental incompatibility issue with morals, values, whatever, or, you know, it's just you're not my cup of tea, whatever. I have been alone enough to where I'm like, if you make me feel like this, mm-hmm. and it's not something that we can talk about and communicate, then I would rather be alone every time. Every time I would pick being alone rather than feeling uncomfortable like that. 
mm-hmm. because I have learned to be really comfortable with myself because and this is actually in just the past year, I learned a term called self-betrayal. It's when you set boundaries personally for yourself and you learn to not trust yourself and not be comfortable with yourself when you self-betray and don't hold yourself accountable to boundaries. And I think that's another factor that goes into some people having a hard time being alone um, because they can't rely on themselves. But over this past year, I've worked really, really hard to not self-betray and to be able to rely on myself and to be able to be comfortable with myself. And I feel like, you know, now, and I've also, I live, I check all these boxes so I can live a, a rounded, fulfilling life. And I feel like if there's one relationship in my life that isn't working out, I can just, I can walk away because... One, I have all these other, you know, I have this support system of of friends or of hobbies or with myself. Mm-hmm. And then if I don't have that, I'm okay with just being alone. But that's been really hard for me to come to. And I think that being alone was when I was safest as a kid. And that is how I got to this place. Mm-hmm. Because it's always been safe. These people are dangerous. And there was never that cycle for me where they came back and they loved when people came back it was to be cruel Mm -hmm. and I think it's interesting how that's manifested so differently in the both of us Mm -hmm. um I do have kind of a funny anecdote about boundaries though okay let's hear it my younger brother has is good at boundaries he is very assertive and will say absolutely not I don't like that I'm not doing it 100% no. He's just, he's phenomenal Mm -hmm. at it. But I remember when we were children, he got upset with my siblings at different points in time, and he would get upset. This is the 90s for you, when having anger issues was okay. (laughs) (laughs) Having a lot of things was okay in the 90s. He would get upset. Anyways... Got upset at my sister. She was crossing some sort of boundary for him. And he grabbed a pencil off the table and stabbed (gasps) her in the leg with it twice. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And this was acceptable. Uh, No. (laughs) Okay. He obviously got in trouble for it. Listen, we don't justify stabbing people with pencils here. Or maybe we do. Uh, Teacher, my choir teacher in eighth grade... He got annoyed with me, and he threw sharpened pencils at me, like darts. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but he was, like, 20 years old. And... Send us your pencil injury stories. <laughs> Life with podcast. <laughs> Life... Life with purpose pod at gmail.com. Send us your pencil injury stories. So he he got upset at my, uh-huh. my brother, my other brother, another time, stabbed him with the pencil was upset with my older sister, stabbed her with a pencil. So we're wow. Sitting, so we're sitting around at the table one day and everyone's exchanging their stabbed with a pencil by said brother stories. And <laughs> I was like, huh, I think I'm the only sibling who has not been stabbed by him. <laughs> I think I'm doing okay. Does that make me your favorite? <laughs> it's dark humor for you. He's like, I'm your favorite. You've never stabbed me with a pencil. Or you're just a traumatized people pleaser. I am a traumatized people pleaser. You're right. Ouch. <laughs> Way to come at me, Adeline. <laughs> <laughs> boundaries, okay? And my boundary is to be kindly honest. So here is <laughs> here's a boundary that I learned recently that was really hard for me was someone setting a boundary against me. Oh, so, that's a, yeah. Yeah, we talk a lot about how we set boundaries for other people, but we, I feel like as a society, don't touch base enough about how people are allowed to set boundaries for us, too. Yeah, and we really need to work on a culture of respecting those boundaries. Yes. And not doing so um, out of, uh, I think it's malicious compliance that I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. So... This is a relationship boundary. My partner, Josh, he is a I-need-to-walk-away-and-cool-down argument. Mm-hmm. Argument haver. <laughs> what is the word I'm looking for here? Um, he needs to take space in order to regulate his 
big emotions during during an argument. heated moments. Yes. I, on the other hand, was raised, don't go to bed angry, solve it now. Um, when I, when someone says something like, I need to walk away from this conversation, I have anxiety until we come back to the conversation. And so mm-hmm. when we have arguments or disagreements within our relationship, those are two very different problem-solving mechanisms. And so as a couple, we've had to learn how to navigate that. And he set this boundary and he said, I absolutely, if I say I need to walk away from a conversation, I need to walk away. Because here's the thing is that I'm going to get angry and I'm going to say things that I don't mean. And then it's just going to cause bigger problems. And I had to learn how to regulate my anxiety when he says that instead of Because I used to say, no, we need to solve this now. No, we're not going to bed angry. Another thing is sometimes he would go sleep on the couch. And Mm -hmm. in my mind, that is, if we were married, that's grounds for a divorce kind of a thing. That's just how I learned. And one thing that I've learned through therapy and how society is teaching us to manage our emotions and manage our boundaries is Josh and I had to learn how to argue in a way that was productive. And have disagreements in a way that's productive. And for him, his big thing is my, for him, he will say, my immediate reaction is to defend and attack. So if you have a frustration or something that you're upset about that you need to get out, um, we actually learned that I have to text it to him because... That gives him the space that he needs. He won't immediately defend an attack. He will read it, take it in, process it, and he doesn't have to write back right away because we're not face-to-face having a conversation. So he can say, okay, I've read this. Give me a minute. And I know that he's acknowledged it and that he's processing, and then he's going to come back with something productive rather than hurtful and mean words. Well, and if you guys are, you know, emotions are running high face-to-face already and he needs to take space to process part of that Mm -hmm. conversation, I can see how, because emotions are running higher being face-to-face, that would cause more anxiety. But if it's already a set precedent where you are going to start and then come together, Mm -hmm. that seems like a really great way to honor both of your boundaries. What's really funny is that we've we've had this conversation with other people before that if we're upset about something, we text it to each other. A lot of people think that's really unhealthy. And in our relationship specifically, we've found that it's, it's the best, it's the best thing for us. We used to, back when we were learning to navigate, you know, when relationships are new and everything is perfect in the beginning Mm -hmm. and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And then you start, poking to see where those boundaries Mm -hmm. lie how far you can go and then you start getting in arguments and then you decide okay are these arguments solvable or is this relationship not solvable we would get in these massive arguments because we could not come to common ground and we learned it was because he was not getting the space he needed to process and I I was just trying to solve the fucking problem. And so we were going in circles. So we learned that this is the most productive way for us to argue. And now it's, it's a common, and if it's something bigger, I, I send him a text, Josh, I'm really, really upset about this. This is a big thing in our relationship. And he decides I can't process this today. I'm going to sleep on the couch tonight because I need that space away. That's not, that's not the end-all be-all anymore for us mm-hmm. because I think we were taught at one point, you don't, it's that thing, you don't go to bed angry. Yep. They say it all the time, don't go to bed angry. Sometimes people have to go to bed angry. I think a lot of times it's the better thing to do because I heard this quote once and it was like, if you feel like people don't like you, drink water. Or, or go to sleep. It was like, if you feel like people don't like you, your friends don't like you, drink water. If you feel like you don't like your friends, eat food. If you feel like, if you feel hopeless, go to bed. Something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I quoted that very accurately, but I think you get the point. 
Um, and I realized that people have different needs that need to be met in order to have a healthy perspective on certain situations. Um, just in the realm of being hungry, thirsty, or tired, oftentimes we are such, we are so much quicker to more extreme reactions mm -hmm. to situations. Our, our reactions can be out of proportion. It's much more likely when we haven't checked those boxes. So I think taking space and time alone to process something is just another one of those needs that many people need in order to have a proportionate reaction mm -hmm. to a tense situation. The other thing too is they say that your dreams help you process things that are going on really? in your life. And that's part of the reason why we dream. That's why sometimes you dream about work. It means you're having anxiety at work and your brain is working through that anxiety. Like learning how to handle that anxiety? Or or it could be your body telling you this is a fight, flight, or freeze reaction. Mm. So, like, do you need to think about leaving your job or that sort of thing? So if nightmares are plaguing you about something... Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, obviously, I guess we're plaguing you about something. Your brain is still, uh -huh. your brain is basically in survival mode and it's teaching you how to work through those problems even when you're not awake. Wow. I have never heard that before mm -hmm. and that's so fascinating. I'm definitely going to have to look into that more after this episode because yeah. that just, I mean, I don't know why that's so surprising to me. It makes perfect sense. Off topic but relevant, when I was younger, I used to lie to my parents. Mm -hmm. Like, we're talking a small child. I would lie to my parents, and then I would go to bed, and I would have this dream about gremlins. You know that old movie, The Gremlins? <laughs> I would have a dream that gremlins, like, plagued our town or plagued our house or whatever, and every night I would have to find a different way to kill all the, the gremlins and save my family. Oh. So I would lie to my parent parents one day, and then I would have this dream, and I would have this dream every single night. Until I went back to my parents and told them the truth. Wow. <laughs> I was so guilty about lying to my parents that I had a reoccurring dream about gremlins. Until I, <laughs> so I learned to stop lying. I just stopped lying. Yeah, that'll do it. So in any case, so there are some nights where Josh will say, I, I need to process and I need time alone to process. And he'll go sleep on the couch. And I, as someone with major anxiety and like major relationship, like doom-based anxiety, I would be like, oh my god, this is it, he's going to break up with me, he doesn't want to be together anymore. Um, and I had to learn that we're not doomed, he's just trying to be a grown-up about his big feelings, and he doesn't want to take them out on me. And 100% of the time now, he comes back and he'll say, you're right, or I understand why you feel that, or likewise, it's not always me, but I'll say absolutely, I can see why that upset you, and I'm sorry, or what can we do to fix it? That's really interesting. It seems like, do you feel like when you're, so somebody in your life is taking space from you and coming back and there's a positive result from that, do you feel like it's easier to either respect those boundaries or set them yourself because you're, you're now training your brain that you can also have a positive outcome from somebody walking away and coming back? Yeah, I think... I mean, it was really hard to do, and we're now almost four years into our relationship. It took time. It was mm -hmm. not easy. And the first however many times that I tried to let go and say, okay, go sleep on the couch tonight, I, I wouldn't sleep. I would be mm -hmm. up all night. So it, it was definitely not an easy thing to do, but it, it did teach me that, okay, boundaries are okay to have. And when he comes back, it's in a positive manner, and so I'm going to trust that this is an okay thing to do. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how you retrain your brain. Um, when you're taught that <clears throat> you can or can't have a certain boundary as a kid, or this certain boundary that you need, or this need you, that you that must be met, uh, isn't respected. I feel like as adults, we have to put ourselves in these situations and we have to intentionally experience these different outcomes in order to change the way that our brains and our bodies feel about setting these boundaries. That's, that's what I did mm -hmm. to change my response to one thing I still struggle with emotional boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody says something that upsets me, um, that's still, um, more challenging for me to address 
especially when, when it's someone that, that I put my trust in and that I care about. If I don't care about them, it's a lot easier for me to brush off, like I think, you know, most people, right? Well, if somebody that I trust and admire says something that hurts me, it is one of the hardest boundaries for me to set is to sit down with them and say, this hurt me. Um, this is why. Can we talk constructively about this? This is the outcome that I want from this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I didn't have like the freedom to, to tell um, trusted people in my life as a kid, I guess not so trusted if I couldn't tell them, that, um, that they hurt me because it wasn't received well, it wasn't heard. But now I have to practice that on small things and work up and do bigger and bigger things mm-hmm. and, and, and say a comment that somebody made that's super small that just kind of bugged me. I can say that I can practice setting that boundary on that first. Mm-hmm. And then when the, you know, if it ever escalates, if somebody really does something that emotionally, you know, offends me, I can, I know that it's possible that addressing that triggering point can have a mm-hmm. somewhat positive outcome. I feel like that's important piece of retraining our brain. Also going back to being on the receiving end of a boundary. Yeah. Because man, does it hurt your ego when someone sets a boundary? Yeah. It's funny how that happens. But on that, on that same note of when someone says you've hurt me, Mm -hmm. I've had to do a lot of retraining because we learned things to say, we learned to say things like, I'm sorry you feel that way, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry if I made you, or you, you put that res- you take that responsibility from you, yourself and, and you put it on them. You're yeah. putting it back on them when if you say I'm sorry that I made you feel that way. When someone when someone says I'm sorry if I made you feel that way, there's no if. I just told you you made me feel that way, and so, but I've been guilty of that. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry if I made you feel that way. I've had to really sit back and say, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Mm -hmm. You also kind of have to learn to say, to to not immediately say it wasn't my intention or you kind of have to let them soak up that apology first and then you determine your solution. Mm -hmm. And so once they've said, and a lot of people, when when you apologize to them and you're genuine about it, a lot of people are surprised. If if you said, Amanda, you said this and it hurt my feelings, and I immediately respond with, I'm really sorry, I think, like, at first you might be shocked because we're so used to people saying, well, I didn't mean to, or mm-hmm. I'm sorry if you feel that way, or, like, yeah. well, this is what I meant. But if I just say, wow, I'm really sorry. I think it's surprising because our society does not create a culture of accountability. Mm -hmm. We, we just talked, we just touched on that a little bit, how we don't hold ourselves accountable. We don't hold other people accountable for boundaries. Um, I think it's uncomfortable to do that. And when apologizing to someone and taking accountability for something you've done, I think we have this like narrative in our, in our minds where we're not responsible for other people's emotions and feelings. And I think that is totally true. But on the flip side, I think we are responsible for validating the emotions of other people and understanding that it's their emotion and that emotion can exist in the same space as something that you, you did without you being a bad person. Mm-hmm. Blame can be on you for causing someone pain without it defining you. So my dad used to tell me, there's there's a couple components to that. He told me one thing. No one can make you feel any sort of way. Mm-hmm. You are choosing to feel that way. If you tell me something and I said, you just made me feel bad, no, I I chose to feel bad about it. But you can, that can coexist on the plane that, on the same playing field as something you did still hurt me. So that's not saying that you, in that instance, you didn't do something wrong. You still did something wrong. You did something that hurt. I'm choosing to feel bad. Instead of 
feeling bad though, I could say I'm choosing to feel empowered and I'm going to tell you that what you did hurt my feelings. That's the first thing. The second thing that he told me was that there's no such thing as a bad person, only bad actions, which goes along with what you're saying. You you could have hurt my feelings, but that doesn't make you a bad person. You just did a crappy thing. Mm-hmm. I think you can be a good person and do a crappy thing and someone can feel angry or upset about that crappy thing and there can still be love there and there can still be an understanding of being a good person. I think that people are so scared of being held accountable for their their choices and their actions because we're not a forgiving, we don't have a very forgiving culture. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no moving past things, but it's like, we all make mistakes, and we I think... We touch base on that in cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think cancel culture is a product of our social culture that's existed for a long time, where there's such severe punishments for mistakes because we immediately, many times we immediately jump to condemn someone. And I think that's why apologies are so difficult Because we are not raised to hold ourselves accountable, and we're also not raised with the idea that it's okay to make mistakes, and that doesn't mean that you are a bad person or that that mistake has to define you. I Mm -hmm. think that's a relatively new... I wouldn't say it's a new concept. Um, That sounds... That's a very young idea to think that that's new. But I think with the rise of the internet and all of the social awareness and, and... I quote wokeness that we have going on <clears throat> that it's something that we are talking about more. Yes. This is a heavy mm-hmm. a heavy topic though boundaries because we have to we have to learn one that we need to set boundaries, but we also have to learn that because other people set boundaries for us does not make us inherently bad. It's like going back to the argument thing with Josh. I just learned way differently than he did. And so we were both kind of like, he's saying she wants me to solve this right now and I'm a bad person because I want to walk away. And I'm like, I I want to solve this right now and I'm a bad person because I'm keeping him here and he feels trapped. We're not bad, we just learned differently. So do you think that it's, do you think that it's so hard for us to accept other people's boundaries because our boundaries are not usually accepted? So we don't even know what that looks like. That's probably true in a lot of ways. I think also you have to set boundaries early in your relationship. So the best the best way to set boundaries in practice is by setting them with new people. And this is something that I learned with Josh because I had had boundaries in other relationships that weren't respected. And part of the problem was was that I let those people do things over and over and over before I finally said, that is enough. And it usually led to a breakup. When I met Josh, I decided he was important enough to me that I wanted to set those boundaries early because if he continued to break those boundaries, we would break up. Mm -hmm. So I think part of that is deciding, is this person important enough for me to let them know that this is how I feel? And it's made all the difference in this relationship. And Again, by no means is it perfect. We've had our trials and tribulations, but this is the first time I, in theory and in practice, see a relationship lasting in my own life because we both have taken the time to say, that's a no for me, and we did it early. Mm-hmm. Instead of waiting waiting and getting married, and then 10 years down the road, you're like, I fucking hate when you leave dishes in the sink. I want a divorce. Uh-huh. Well, that was that was one that Josh sent, set early. He genuinely hates dishes in the sink, and so I don't leave them. <laughs> I think that's a really good way to do that because if you're if any given person is scared of someone walking away or having a negative reaction to this mm-hmm. boundary being set, if they're a new person that you know you aren't used to having around in your life or you're not particularly attached to. I think it's a lot easier to practice setting those boundaries mm-hmm. because the um, the stakes are not as high. There's a, another another place where I think we set the boundaries early was with you and I. You we talked about how our friendship 
When we hang mm-hmm. out, it's not emotionally draining or socially draining. Mm-hmm. We feel fulfilled when we leave. And I think yeah. it's because you and I set boundaries early kind of naturally where I just, I would just say emotionally I'm too exhausted for this. Mm-hmm. And you learned not to take it personally because I was upfront and honest. Well, and, I've, and likewise. Yeah, I've, that's something I've practiced in relationships before too. Um, where I have learned to say, like, I do not have the battery for this. I like to use the term spoons. I read this once. It's like... Spoons is a good theory. Yep, yep. You've heard of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, for our listeners and viewers, it's... Uh, say you you wake up every day with um, a certain amount of spoons. Say ten spoons. Everything you do during that day takes a spoon or gives a spoon. At the end of the night, say you have zero spoons or you have eight spoons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different for every person in every interaction. Those spoons represent social battery. When I heard that analogy... Um, it was a really good way for me to start communicating in a, in a non-emotional mm-hmm. way. I don't, have, I don't have a spoon for this, or I don't have the battery for this, so I'm, I don't have the capacity. I really like the battery analogy. Yeah. For me, you, it's like your phone. You wake up with a full battery, and by the end of the day, your battery goes down. Okay. So we were just talking about, you like the battery analogy? I like the battery analogy. So you wake up every morning just like your phone, and your mm-hmm. phone battery is full, and then you use Instagram, and then you use TikTok, and then you use YouTube, and then you listen to podcasts, and throughout the day, your battery goes down. Mm-hmm. And so if every every interaction you have is one like on Instagram, like it's it's going to drain your battery a little. So anyways, I like, I like the battery analogy, but one thing I have learned is I've gotten better at setting boundaries with, so you have new people in your life, and you have people who are established, like your family and your parents and friends that you've had for longer. We have a friend whose father says things that are now outdated and a little, not a little, they are, they're misogynistic, and he'll do things like tell women how pretty they are in a way that is socially uncomfortable. We've tried talking to this person and saying socially that's no longer acceptable. We don't talk to people that way anymore. You can't just tell women how beautiful you think they are. It's uncomfortable. And a lot of this person's friends are like, well, that's just who he is. And they don't hold him accountable because he's much, much older now and he's stuck in his ways and that's just who he is. Whereas those of us who are younger and are learning to set boundaries are still kind of resistant and are like, even in your 60s, you can change, man. You can learn. And so setting boundaries with new people is making me braver when I need to set boundaries with people who are established. It's making me feel like I can say, you're breaking a boundary or I need you to behave this way or I don't like it when. And I am not afraid that they're immediately going to flip out. Or, for example, I have roommates and every time I have to tell my roommate that maybe they're doing something that I'm uncomfortable with or that I don't like or I need help with this, I'm always afraid they're going to say, well, go fuck yourself, get out kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And because I've gotten better at setting boundaries with other people and it hasn't crashed and burned, I can say, usually what I like to say is, hey, I have anxiety about telling you this, but I need to have a conversation. This is why I'm upset. Do you think you can help me or we can come to an agreement? And when you preface by saying that or make yourself a little bit vulnerable, hey, this makes me nervous to tell you, but can I tell you? A lot of times they come back and say, I'm so sorry you were nervous to tell me that. Yeah, I've found that prefacing it, like telling them what you expect out of a conversation. I I did the same thing when I started practicing setting boundaries. I said, I really feel um, nervous about this conversation. This is just a hard conversation for me to have. But I really want to talk to you about this and find a way that we can come together. So when I share this... I want you, I'd really appreciate if you could look at this through that lens of understanding and us finding a solution. So when I share this with you, um, you can come back um, to me with something productive. Or you can say, you're important to me, mm-hmm. which is why I'm telling you this. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't want this to continue 
going poorly and then us end up not being friends or end up with us not speaking because I never set my boundary. I just decided to walk away. You know, speaking of setting boundaries with new people, you had said, you know, with us. And that made me think about when we were we were driving to go camp, maybe, or we were driving somewhere. Maybe we weren't. I don't know. We were together, obviously, and talking. And um, you had said something about being on your phone a lot. You were always texting people. And you had said something about somebody not responding to you and it had given you anxiety. And I was like, well, just so you know about me, this is something I, a boundary I like to make known. It's not a traditionally defined boundary more of an expectation, but I think there's a gray area there. Um, I'm not a texter. I don't like to stay in contact with people. I mean, not particularly. If we do, we do. Our friendship will pick up wherever we left off last. Mm -hmm. Time and silence is, for me, just that. There's no... I don't fade out with people. Mm -hmm. You know, I just... It's just paused because I know that everyone has so much going on in their lives and I understand that as much as I'd hope for other people to understand about me. And I feel like time and silence isn't a deterrent or a factor in a friendship. I think people can grow apart, but that's something that happens over time and that's something that if you pay attention, you can notice. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's that actually leaves the door open for us to maybe in the future do another episode about the dynamics of friendships. Oh, I would love to. Because we, uh, that definitely reminds, there are friends that I have where I know, there's one friend in particular that I think of, and we we have gone years without speaking to each other, but then out of the blue one day she'll call me and I'll answer and we'll speak for three hours. But there are other friends where if I don't hear from them, either something's wrong or they're upset with me and you, you have to learn to navigate what's what and who's who. But I do think it's funny that you brought up the camping trip because when, and texting, because when we got to the bottom of the mountain <laughs> and got service back on our phone, uh -huh. you had, I think, two or three text messages. Oh, no, I had two. And one of them was an automated, like, spam text from a company. And I had... I think it was, like, what was it, 58 or 60? It was definitely over 50. Text messages. that, And we had been out of service for one night. Not even 24 hours. And I had 50 text messages. So one thing, another boundary that has been set in our household is that when I go to bed at night, my phone goes on do not disturb, or I will be up all night texting <laughs> because... I have no boundaries, and I never tell people to leave me alone. <laughs> well, that's why we did this episode. Um, we would love to hear what boundaries you have learned to set recently. If there's anything new in your life that has changed or boundaries that you need mm -hmm. to be set, I would love to hear some stories about you know, where you've been and where you've ended up as far as boundaries go, because we all have them, and I think it's important to talk about in order to start working towards better boundaries. Mm -hmm. As always, you can email us at lifewithpurposepod at gmail.com. Or comment below. And you can find all of our social media linked in the show notes. Well, that's all we have for today. Thanks right. for watching, you guys. And <laughs>